Last week, we considered together that Paul was not ashamed of the gospel. Quite the opposite. He said he was eager to preach the gospel to those that were at Rome also. Paul was not ashamed. We saw sociologically he was not ashamed of the gospel. And intellectually, he was not ashamed of the gospel. For he spoke both to the Greek and the barbarian, both to the wise and to the unwise. The reason that he was not ashamed of the gospel is because it is the power of God to salvation, to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for in it is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the just shall live by faith. We emphasize that the gospel itself is God's power. It's what God uses to grant faith. It's what God uses to save an individual. Therefore, we too should not be ashamed of it, but gladly proclaim it, don't seek to alter it, uh, try to make it effectual in our day and age, for the gospel itself is effectual because it's the power of God. It tells us that it's the power of God to salvation. That's where we ended last week in verse 16. Today we want to pick up in verse 17. For in it is the righteousness of God revealed from faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. So what does it mean to be saved in this particular context? says that the power of God is salvation. Then it goes on to say, for in it, that is the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as written the judge live by faith. So we find out that salvation and righteousness somehow go hand in hand. Salvation is to be delivered. So the gospel is the message of deliverance. It's also the power for deliverance. The gospel achieves deliverance from unrighteousness by revealing a righteousness that is of God. We're looking at verse 17 this morning, and we're just going to uh, take that apart phrase by phrase as we think about this great gospel truth that in it the righteousness of God is revealed. So we begin by asking the question, in what sense is the righteousness of God revealed in the gospel? In what sense is the righteousness of God revealed in the Bible? Believe it or not, that simple phrase, righteousness of God, gets an incredible amount of ink in the various commentaries and scholarly considerations of Romans chapter 1, verse 17. And the reason is because that little genitive righteousness of God could be understood in three different ways. And we want to talk about those three ways that it could be understood. And let me just say up front that I think we're to understand it in all of these three ways. That it is intentionally ambiguous. If you read the NIV, uh, the older NIV, the 84 edition of the NIV, it reads the righteousness from God. That's one way it could be understood. But it's not the only way that it can be understood. And in the newer NIV and the ESV and the NAS and the King James all say the righteousness of God. So it doesn't interpret it for us, but just simply gives us the simple genitive that it is. <clears throat> there are three ways, as I said, that that can be understood. The first is an objective genitive. That 
would be that which God deems to be righteous. God's standard of righteousness is revealed in the gospel. What God considers righteousness to consist of. What is his standard for righteousness? And we find that indeed the gospel does reveal God's standard for righteousness. And so the conclusion in Romans 3 verses 10 to 11 is, as it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. None understands. None seeks after God. No one measures up to God's standard of righteousness or holiness. No one fulfills all of what the law reveals concerning God's holy standard. Secondly, it can be understood as a descriptive genitive. That would be the righteousness that God possesses. His attribute of righteousness is revealed in the gospel. That too is foundational to the book of Romans. The gospel reveals that God is righteous. An example of that is found in Romans chapter 3. And I invite you to turn with me there. Starting at verse 21. And you'll see this phrase, righteousness of God, repeated and actually used in a variety of ways. Now, I'm not going to look at all the variety of ways in Romans 3.21 this morning. I'm just proving this point of the fact that it reveals the attribute of God's righteousness. It reveals that he truly is righteous. But if you look at it, starting in Romans 3.21, but now the righteousness of God has been manifest apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, for the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ, for all who believe, for there is no distinction, <clears throat> for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Now these words. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just, which is just an English synonym for righteous, the same Greek word, that he might be just or righteous, and the justifier, or the righteouser, if you will, of the one who has faith in Jesus. So here we find it is a descriptive genitive to show us God is righteous. For the gospel answers a very important question. How can a holy, righteous judge declare sinful people to be righteous? How can you do that and be just? How can you do that and be holy? How can you say of someone, of something that's not true, how can you declare a sinful person to be righteous? Well, Romans 3, 21 says this is to demonstrate how that is possible. The, the gospel reveals how God at one and the same time can be just, holy, righteous, and at the same time declare sinners to be holy and righteous. The gospel reveals that. The gospel shows that. It reveals the righteous character and person of God. And then thirdly, and 
really probably what is the emphasis of the particular verse that's in front of us, is the righteousness of God could be understood as a genitive of source. That is, a righteousness that comes from God is revealed in the gospel. And that's how the old NIV translates it. The righteousness that comes from God. Even as in the passage we just read, Romans 3.22 says, The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. That's referring to a genitive of source. This righteousness that comes from God. It's a gift. God gives righteousness unto individuals. So the ambiguity is intentional so that we would understand all of these various things are true in the gospel. But what we're going to emphasize this morning is this righteousness which comes from God. So we find out that the primary emphasis of the gospel is about righteousness. The primary emphasis of the gospel is about righteousness. For in it, that is the gospel. The righteousness of God is revealed. Why is the primary subject of the gospel about righteousness? Well, first, because of our lack of righteousness. The fact that there is none righteous. No, not one. Because of our need for righteousness. Look with me at the very next verse, Romans 1.18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. So God's wrath is revealed against all men, for all are unrighteous. And then, because of God's wonderful bestowal of righteousness on his part, the fact that God gives righteousness, that God bestows righteousness. In Romans chapter 10, referring to uh, Paul's Jewish brothers, he says this, Brothers, my hearts and desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own righteousness, they did not submit to God's righteousness, meaning the righteousness that came from God. They tried to make themselves righteous rather than receiving the righteousness which God gives. The gospel reveals how this righteousness is obtained in verse 17. For in it is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. From faith to faith. Meaning from, by faith from beginning to end, start to finish. A righteous life is begun and lived out by faith. By faith. Again, this righteousness by faith is understood in two ways. We are objectively righteous through faith. That is, we have a righteous standing before God. The gospel reveals how we who are sinners 
can be treated as righteous. How God is able to look at you and me when it says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is none that is righteous, no, not one, that not one of us sitting here on our own is totally sinless. But how can God look at us as being sinless? How can God look at us as being perfect? How can God look at us as being acceptable? How can God declare us to be righteous? Well, listen again to Romans 3. But now the righteousness of God has been manifest apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there's no distinction. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God and are justified, that is, declared righteous by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. The redemption. The idea there is that Jesus paid the penalty for our sin. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We deserve to die because of our sin. But Jesus died in our place. Jesus bore the consequences of our sinfulness. He, who was righteous, was treated as a sinner. And he died in our place. But not only does redemption tell us that he paid the penalty for our sins, he also supplied the righteousness that we lacked. He also provided the righteousness that we did not possess. For he was in all points tempted like we are, yet without sin. So he takes the penalty for our sin and provides us the righteousness that we did not possess. Turn with me to Romans chapter 5, verse 17. Obviously, when we get to these passages, I will explain them in much greater detail. Uh, this morning, I'm just alluding to it. And let me just say, uh, once we get through this middle section of Romans chapter 1, I'm going to follow my old pattern of going just verse by verse by verse. But I'm trying to demonstrate how these introductory thoughts are just that, and they lay out the theme of the entire book of, of Romans, and how in these very pithy statements, we have the entire... Uh, teaching of, of uh, the book of Romans uh, alluded to. In Romans 5.17 it says, For if because of one man's trespass, that's referring to Adam, death reigned through one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through one man, Jesus Christ. So it is teaching us that through Adam, we're all made sinners. Through Christ and union with Christ, we are made righteous. I'll say a little more about that in just a moment. It is the righteousness of Christ accounted to us and not our own good deeds. Romans chapter 4 says, For what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God, it was counted to him for righteousness. Now to him that worketh is reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. But him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. So this 
object of righteousness is the standard, the standing that we have before God. That we are considered to be righteous, not because of our own goodness, but because of the, workness, work, because of the goodness of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's objective uh, righteousness. There is also subjective righteousness. That is, we who are sinners begin to live righteously by faith. Romans 6.12 says, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from dead to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. Therefore, we are to live righteous lives by faith. Which brings us then to the concluding statement. Romans 1.17 said, for, the gospel, for in the gospel the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith, from faith, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. It is by faith a person is considered to be righteous and is given the gift of eternal life. Romans 6.23 The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So we're given this gift of righteousness by faith in Jesus Christ. Secondly, a righteous person is one who now lives their life by faith in a righteous manner. That now, by faith, lives their life in a righteous manner. Go back with me to Romans chapter 5. Romans 5, 17 and 19. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. All right? So stopping there, it's talking about how in union with Adam, all people are considered sinners. In union with Adam, all people are considered sinners. When we were born, we were born into trespasses and sinfulness. We were born sinners because of our union with Adam. We all stood in need of salvation because of Adam's sin. And before you say, now that's not fair, and that's not right, and I'm going to get into covenantal aspects when I get to this passage. But let me just point out two things. Number one, anybody who doesn't think that, Ab that uh, Adam is a representative of us is just kidding themselves. He's our representative. When Adam sinned, he represented all mankind, and we sinned when he did. 
And if you think that he's not a fair representative, just realize, do you sin? And you sin, having been born again. You sin, knowing the consequences of sin. You sin, knowing all the reasons why we shouldn't sin. So if you were in Adam's place, I can guarantee you, you would have done the same thing. Okay. But you need to understand that it's because Adam's sin is counted to us is the reason why Christ's righteousness can be counted to us. It's the reason why in Adam I can be considered a sinner and in righteousness and in Christ I can be considered righteous. We are born into Adam's union physically. We are born into union with Christ spiritually by faith. By faith, we accept the Lord Jesus Christ. John 1.12, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. We are the spiritual descendants of Christ by faith. We are the physical descendants of Adam by birth. In Adam, we die. In Christ, we're made alive. Now, the subjective part. Verse 13. Uh, excuse me. Verse, where am I? Got too many notes in front of me. Verse 19. <clears throat> For as by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. And notice it switches to a future tense. Many will be made righteous. So, in Adam, not only are we considered sinful, but because we are physical descendants of Adam, we also had a sinful nature, which means we didn't just be considered sinful, we were sinful. We did sinful things. We acted in sinful ways. The Bible teaches us that each and every one of us sins. If we say that we have not sinned, we are a liar, 1 John says. So we're not just considered sinners, but we became sinners. Well, in like manner, in Romans 5:19. So by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. God intended in Christ's death not simply to make us forgiven, but to make us righteous. Not simply to consider us to be righteous, but that we would be righteous. God saved us to newness of life so that we would walk in newness of life. So that we would be living righteously. So Romans 6 says this, For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for righteousness, unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life 
and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. You have now passed from death into life. Now the ability to live to God's honor and glory and praise. He has given us his spirit. And now we are capable of doing what before we were incapable of doing. And that is to live a life that is pleasing before God. Our standing is in death's, our standing is in Christ's death and resurrection. We are considered righteous because of his death. But his death did more than just simply make it so that we could be considered to be righteous. His death and resurrection is so that we would actually begin to live righteous lives. And when he returns, we will be totally righteous. When Jesus Christ returns to this earth, when he establishes a new heaven and a new earth, there will be nothing that defiles. We won't just be treated as righteous, we will be righteous. We won't steal from each other, we won't cheat each other, we won't lie to each other, uh, we won't lust after one another, we won't desire what other people have, we won't be covetous, we will be righteous. He just didn't want to forgive us from the penalty of sin. He wanted to deliver us from the power and the very presence of sin. All of that is found in this simple statement that the righteous will live by faith. Or as translated by some, the just shall live by faith, same word in the Greek. The righteous person from beginning to end, start to finish, the whole Christian life is about faith. It starts by putting your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, acknowledging your own sinfulness and your need for righteousness. To be considered to be righteous even though we are unrighteous because of Jesus' death in our place, because of his righteousness that we lacked. And now, having been forgiven our sins and considered to be righteous, now by faith we live this righteous life. Now we live seeking to bring honor and glory to Jesus Christ, seeking to present our, our bodies to him. Thus, the good news of the gospel is being delivered from unrighteousness through faith. So listen to it again. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. What does that mean? For in it is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. It's the power to live righteously by faith. To be born again. To enter into a new relationship with God by faith in Jesus Christ so that our sins can be forgiven and we have a standard of being considered righteous before God. But it doesn't stop there. But now... We have this wonderful privilege of living a life of righteousness before God. Paul says, who is going to deliver me from this wickedness? Thanks be to God. Jesus Christ delivers Paul and us from this wickedness. So the good news is that the gospel reveals God's righteousness. His standard of righteousness. You've got to be absolutely holy to be in God's presence. 
our lack of righteousness. No one meets that standard. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The gift of righteousness, which he provides, that isn't based on our works or our doing. I didn't read Romans 4, 4, and 5. Not him that worketh is reward, not reckoned of grace, but of debt. But to him that worketh not, believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly. His faith is counted for righteousness. It is faith that brings about this righteous standing before God. And it is faith that changes our lives so that now we are seeking to live to the honor and glory of Jesus Christ. That's the great good news of the gospel. The answer to unrighteousness. So I simply ask you this morning two questions. First, Have you come to grips with your unrighteousness? Have, have you ever come to a realization that what the Bible says is true, that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God? Do you realize that you need righteousness? To be in God's presence, you have to be absolutely holy, perfect. Not just good, perfect. For God is so holy, he can't even look upon sin. And the only way to be perfect is to receive a gift of righteousness. One that we don't earn. One that we can't perform. One that we simply have to willingly accept. This gift of righteousness when Jesus lived this sinless life, died on the cross for our sins and rose again. Have you received that gift of righteousness? Realizing realizing the hideousness of that unrighteousness. And so with receiving Christ is this desire to be free, not just from the the penalty of our unrighteousness, but unrighteousness itself. That we've come to realize how miserable sin is, how terrible it is, how destructive it is to ourselves and to others, how dishonoring it is to God, how displeasing it is to him when we sin before him. And so we are seeking to live this life now in a righteous manner by faith, realizing that it's going to take the grace of God in our lives. So we're asking God to help us. We're asking God to strengthen us. We're asking God to reveal our sinfulness to us. We're asking God to change us day by day to make us a different person. Our life has started by faith, and is consummated by faith. Galatians says, you who have begun by faith are you made perfect by the flesh. No, our Christian life is from faith to faith, from beginning to end, looking to God to supply us with righteousness, holiness, goodness. In just a moment, I'm going to close in in prayer. But before I do, I just want to say to you this morning, Have you ever asked God to forgive you of your sins based upon the work of Jesus Christ, that he died having lived a sinless life to provide us with the righteousness that we lacked? Realizing that when you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you're submitting to him. You realize that that's what unrighteousness consists of. Unrighteousness is, by its very definition, of failing to please God. And so now there's this desire to please and honor and glorify God.
if that's your testimony this morning, if you want to be rid of your sin and by God's grace to be transformed day by day into an image more like Jesus Christ, I invite you to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Almighty God, I I pray that even as we heard last week that it's the gospel that is the power of God unto salvation, I pray if there is anyone here this morning who has never yielded to the gospel, who has not come to complete grips with their need of a savior, a deliverer, a deliverer from unrighteousness, that, Lord, that today would be that day in which they, they seek to have their sins forgiven and by your grace to live for you. Lord, if there's anyone like that this morning, I, I pray that you would just do a work in their heart. I'm, I'm not going to ask you to come forward. I'm not going to embarrass you in any way. But I would love to know that uh, God has spoken to you and, and at some point in some time just try to be an encouragement to you. If, if you want to receive Christ as your Savior this morning, would you quickly raise your hand? So I can see it, uh, good and high. Uh, anyone at all that are here this morning? Uh, our Father, uh, I pray that indeed everyone here this morning does know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. I pray if they don't, that you would continue to strive with them and you would uh, be gracious unto them, merciful unto them, and bring them to faith. Lord, I, I pray that we would understand that you died for us so that we could be reconciled with God, that, that not only our sins can be forgiven, but, but we could be transformed from a disobedient to an obedient people, delivered from the misery and heartache of our sins, that uh, we might begin to, to live righteously in a way that honors and glorifies you. Help us, O oh God, by faith, to appropriate the work of the Lord Jesus day by day. Uh, Lord, by faith, asking you to deliver us from our sinful tendencies. By faith, Lord, uh, believing that uh, your spirit now strives within us and, and gives us an ability that goes beyond our own uh, willpower. But Lord, there is really a, a delivering work of your spirit of which we will hear more. But uh, we ask, oh God, that you might be pleased with our desire to live for you. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Salvation is found in Christ alone, through faith alone, by grace alone. As we think about the gospel in this passage this morning, let's conclude our service with hymn number 230, There is a Fountain Filled with Blood Drawn from Emmanuel's Veins. Would you please stand with me as we sing this hymn together? Say. Hey.
and there may I no vile God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight, to whom be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forevermore. Amen. <laughs> 